Good morning, good afternoon, whatever time of day it is that you are listening. Folks, thank you very, very much for listening. The date today is the 17th of July, year of our Lord, 2020. Welcome to another episode of Shoot the J. Today, on the eve of the Motown Noah Awards, I will be doing my own personal award predictions for the NBA. As it was just announced today, that when the voting is officially opened for the NBA awards, uh, we will be looking exclusively at the season pre-March uh, 11th, so right before the hiatus, which I think is good. I think it's a good thing because recency bias is the thing, and it's important. Like these eight games won't quote in Orlando won't quote us quote unquote matter towards the voting, um, and I think that's good and it's it doesn't and it doesn't matter at the same time i think it's good because in a way i guess i just worry while i would like to believe that the people who are voting on these awards um aren't dumb and don't hold recency bias in such a high regard and are able to differentiate these unprecedented eight games versus the previous like 60 that we played um whereas hypothetically right LeBron excels in these eight games, and Giannis, for whatever reason, doesn't play very well. I guess I would worry that people would give him maybe a slight advantage, and then Giannis would get robbed. Or I think maybe a better example would be, since people are already kind of on the Zion Rookie of the Year train, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, well, let's just get that out of the way. First of all, like, John Morant is going to win Rookie of the Year, and I, I think it's good especially for rookie of the year that these eight games won't matter because it would have been really easy to ramp up uh, Zion's case, especially if the Pels make it into the the playoffs. And I think right now, if memory serves, I believe it's currently the Grizzlies and John Morant's to lose. So the Pels are going to have to actually do some work. And then I guess maybe that would kind of make it more fun, but it would seem, a, 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 I say, a bit unfair, really unfair to John Morant if these eight games held so much uh, uh, weight on that actual award. So yeah, John Morant at this point, it's his to lose kind of made the Grizzlies. I don't want to say must see basketball, but this team of like kind of low key outcasts became pretty entertaining to watch. Right. And it, it, it didn't begin or end with John Morant. Like they have a really fun team who guys who, if they were elsewhere, likely wouldn't be thriving in the way that they are with Memphis, but they're all in just such a tremendous situation. They're in the exact spot that they need to be in, that the Grizzlies are really fun. I think with the exception of Ja and Jaron Jackson Jr., who those two could play on any team in the league and they would be just fine. But guys like, well, also Valanchunas, but guys like uh, like Brandon Clark, who I guess you could argue would be good anywhere. Uh, so maybe, yeah, I guess maybe that point was kind of dumb. But like a guy like Dylan Brooks, um, I, I just... And Tyus Jones, actually, is another one. So there you go. Even Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson's a guy who I even said the Pistons should buy low on uh, this offseason. Um, John Morant made the Grizzlies kind of fun. I didn't enjoy watching them just because the, the Grizzlies, for me, are one of those teams where I don't like their colors. So it's it makes it difficult for me to watch them. But as a talent, I do appreciate what they are. And John Morant kind of put the Grizzlies in this spot where I don't know that we were really expecting much of anything from them this season, not like we were with the Pels. And it got derailed for New Orleans, but John Morant was able to step in, and he's going to win Rookie of the Year, sealed and signed. She's not my lover like Billie Jean, but the kid is mine. Moving on to, I don't know, what's what's the least interesting after that? I guess maybe sixth man, probably sixth man. So we'll move on to sixth man. And right now, I, I, I just feel like the two front runners 
are probably Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams. And it's one of those things where usually we look at these awards and we look at who should win and who will win. And usually, I don't know if it's usually, but those can very often be two separate things. This year, though, I I don't know that many people are going to be upset. Like, you could throw Dennis Schroeder in there. I think he's really the only name because people are going to say Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose is not going to win six man of the year. He's not even going to be invited to the ceremony. Well, no one's going to be invited to the ceremony because there's not going to be one this year. But uh, between Montrose Harrell and Lou Williams, who Lou is going for his fourth, I believe, the perennial six man of the year, um, stabilizing the, the Clippers bench unit. And I, I just see this is uh, you get the two awards that interest me the least out of the way rookie of the year and sixth man. You give it to Lou Williams or Montrose Harrell. I'm not really going to have a problem with either. I don't know if anybody really will. After that, I don't know. What do you think? Coach of the year? Let's do coach of the year. Here's what I'll say I think it would be really easy to uh, give it to Nick Nurse. And in all likelihood, see, this is one of those things where what should happen. And what will happen? I think that as a basketball fan who shared this this consensus belief that the Thunder were going to be absolutely terrible this year, pretty sure everybody thought that. And I'm pretty sure everybody believed that Chris Paul was just going to be at the most fine, like he was just going to be fine. But what we got instead was a team who's tied for fifth in the West with the Houston Rockets and Chris Paul is playing. I don't want to say the best basketballs of his career. Some of the best basketball of his career. Chris Paul was put into a a situation that he desperately has needed for the better part of a decade. And it's not to say that Chris Paul can't play under pressure. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. Cause I feel like more often than not, Uh, Chris Paul has been a victim of circumstances beyond his control through his playoff career. Um, I know that his track record is that he hasn't really won much, but it's not really all been his fault. So I think with Oklahoma City, it was just such a a great situation for him. Again, one that was long overdue because the pressure isn't on him to win. In fact, it's not there at all. Again, most people expected the Thunder were going to be terrible this year. But with Shea Gilgis-Alexander... And I almost said Andre Roberson, who hasn't played in like a year and a half. Uh, the Thunder and Lou Dort, too, a guy who a Troy Weaver product, shout out to the Pistons. You could make the argument that a team that we expected to be in the high lottery or low lottery, depending on how you look at it, actually making a really fun case uh, for like, a, I don't want to say upset potential in the playoffs, but right, right now they would play the Jazz. And that would be really fun. I think the Jazz would win in like six, but that would be a really fun series. So I think you have to kind of at the very least tip your cap to Billy Donovan for what he was able to do uh, because I thought that he'd be fired after this season because the Thunder were going to be so bad. And what instead happened was a great season. No matter what happens in the playoffs, they exceeded expectations. But then you look at Nick Nurse and you look at a team who's, what, the second best in the East and they lost Kawhi Leonard. And I've said this, what I'm about to say, I've said it like three or four times. It's shocking that we expected the Toronto Raptors to, the longest defending champion in basketball, in the history of basketball, uh, we expected the Toronto Raptors to win the finals and bask in their own glory for a few months until the season started again. 
and just kind of ride off into the sunset. And what we got instead was Kyle Lowry, I mean, continuing to be one of the more adaptable point guards in recent memory. Pascal Siakam, who, again, no one in the history of basketball has ever gotten as good as fast as he has. Marcus All and Serge Ibaka, just these absurd rim protectors. OG, Norman Powell, Terrence Davis, Chris Boucher. Like, the, the Raptors' development is off the charts. And for the Raptors to essentially be better this year than they were last year when they won the finals is a really interesting uh, underlying headline to this entire one that nobody's really talking about. And that's why I think Nick Nurse has a legitimate case. And I I think it's probably going to be him, but I think Billy Donovan deserves a lot of credit and a lot of respect. So I guess, what are my predictions there? I said, well, actually, I also didn't really make one with Lou and Montreal. I'll just say Lou because it's easy to say Lou Williams. So we got Ja and Lou Williams. And I'm going to go with Nick Nurse. But I, I, I do kind of really wish that it was Billy. Now, up next, I guess we should probably do most improved. We'll save the best two for last. Most improved player this year is one that I was, like, adamant was going to be a runaway. And I was adamant that Brandon Ingram, who I don't know if there's ever been a unanimous most improved before, but if there wasn't, Brandon Ingram was going to be the first. I talked earlier about how, and I no longer believe that. Let me just get that out of the way. I talked earlier about about how John Morant, I wouldn't necessarily say that he turned the Grizzlies into must-see television, but he definitely made them fun. Brandon Ingram was the exact same for the Pelicans. When you go into the season and there's no Zion, but the Pels have as many nationally televised games as they do, it's like Brandon Ingram was giving you a reason to be watching, right? And even the progression and the development of Lonzo really helped. And also, Nico Melli's amazing, and I love him so much. But with Brandon Ingram, a guy who can pretty much shoot from anywhere um a guy who is honest to god just a complete matchup nightmare and i've often compared him and jason tatum not as being the same player but just in principle that they're both absolutely devastating to match up against brandon ingram averaging 24 this year uh was it 24 6 and 3 he's getting to the line more and it's like people and i was one of the people that didn't really care for brandon ingram uh coming out of college he finished the year really well for the Lakers last year. And he was like, to me, the main haul, the main prize in their trade package with Anthony Davis or for Anthony Davis. And I think most people focused on Lonzo just because of the name and the potential there. Brandon Ingram shot out the gate. Like, it, it was insane. But then you look at Bam Adebayo and you look at a team who, let me say this. And I, I did say this. Whose show was I on? I don't remember. I just said this the other day. Oh, Brotherly Love. Yeah, with three cone and ninja bands. I said, Bam Adebayo is sort of revolutionizing this point center position where we know in the league today playing point forward is this like highly coveted asset that a, or a tool that a player can have. Bam Adebayo is sort of in the same paradigm as Nikola, Nikola Jokic. 
in that his core vision is insane. He's not just driving and kicking. Like, he has really, really solid core vision. Once he – and I hate when players can't shoot threes. It's like, well, once they develop a perimeter shot, like, they're going to be really scary. Because sometimes I, I just wish that we didn't look at every player and think, you can't shoot threes? Well, wait until you can. Because I think that there are players who can be successful without shooting three-pointers. But unfortunately, in order to completely come full circle with your game and really fulfill any potential that you have, you kind of have to develop that. And that's where it is with Bam, where when he gets that, it's going to be insane. And he's an amazing rim protector as well. And honestly, this is maybe a little bit of a hot take. I was talking to someone about this the other day. When you think of the Heat, like, do you immediately think of Jimmy? Because right now I think of Bam. Because it's not that Jimmy's having a poor season by any means, but he's also not, like, everything. Like, he's not, you don't, how do I articulate this point? I'm not watching a Heat game expecting only Jimmy Butler to be the, like, the only effective player on the floor. And right now, to me, Bam, I don't want to say holds more value or significance, but he's just more entertaining. So as far as most improved goes, I kind of got to stick to my guns. And I have to say Brandon Ingram. But I was very arrogant to the very real case that Bam has. 16, 10, and 5, I think, this year for Miami. Now we're going to move on to the Defensive Player of the Year. And let's actually just, you know what, this is going to give it away. We're going to do Defensive Player of the Year and we're going to do MVP. The answer to both of those is Giannis. And maybe that seems like I'm pandering. The answer is Giannis. For you, you can debate a wall about MVP. I think having the dialogue with Defensive Player of the Year, I, I that that's open. I think it's not wide open, but it's the door is cracked there. With MVP, it's been shut for the better part of six months. With Defensive Player, you look at like Anthony Davis, and I do think you look at Ben Simmons. I think if Ben played but well how long was he out in that in that stretch to end the year if memory serves i believe he played like 55 games so he really wasn't out uh, that long but ben simmons emerged as this absolutely unbelievable defender this year and that i i almost said front court with joel Embiid, even though that's it's not what it is but like tech well i guess if they're moving ben to the four i guess technically that is what it is gonna be or it is what it is gonna be uh, but then you kind of remember that Anthony Davis is out west, averaging two and a half blocks and a steal and a half per game. And the Lakers are just so tall defensively that no floater is going to get by them, uh, unless it's Giannis. And I think the real case here is Anthony Davis over Giannis. But even then, here's what I'll say. Bucks are the best team defensively. Well, not even just defensively. They are the best defensive team in basketball, but they are also just the best team in basketball. And they are first in the league in defensive rating. Uh, it's, what, 101, 101 and a half points per 100 possessions. And the Bucks are also, his, like, on and off is the Bucks are averaging, I'm sorry, they're allowing eight more points per 100 possessions when he is off the floor. I mean, truly, he's a great help defender. He's, I don't want to say elite at guarding the post. He's pretty good uh, in the post. And ultimately, you talk earlier about guys who are matchup nightmares. Well, Giannis is a matchup nightmare on both ends of the floor. And the Bucks have the best record in basketball. And again, they're the best team in basketball. He's statistically better this year than he was last year. 
So this is sort of, I guess, more for MVP, uh, which I don't really know that you need to really make the case for that because I think anybody with a brain knows it's going to be him. Guy's averaging 30 a game on three more shot attempts per. So he's at a higher volume. And look, we let's circle back with the players who I hate being like, well, they need a three-point shot in order to com- fulfill their destiny. Shout out to Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, Giannis was, I think, like the quintessential embodiment of that, especially this year. And everyone said the same thing. Once he develops a three-point shot, he's terrifying. Yeah, and then it happened, and he did. And although it wasn't consistent, right, like he would have nights where it just wasn't there, but then he'd have nights like against the Lakers in December. when he, I don't know if he went 5-5, five of five, but he hit five threes, and he's not pulling up. These aren't wide-open looks. These aren't spot-up threes. He's These are contested looks. He's, he's pulling up in transition. There's a hand in his face. And the fact that, I mean, he shot 30%. And it, that's not great. But on the nearly five attempts per that he had, yeah, it's it's definitely a step in the right direction. And that's absolutely terrifying. So you come into the season like with, with Giannis and you're like, I think the two major things with him, get better from the perimeter and be a little bit more efficient at the line. Because obviously Giannis, with his size, his physicality, he's really good at drawing and at times uh, finishing through said contact. This year, he averaged a career-high 10 free throw attempts per game. Now, the issue with that is he shot his lowest career percentage from the line at 63.3%. And it's like that's what sucks, man. Year could be well over 30 per game if you're just hitting your free throws. So maybe is that a next year thing? Are we going to get a really complete Giannis next year? And this isn't even his final form? That's amazing. And I'm excited for that. To recap, um, I don't even remember. Rookie of the year was Ja. Most improved player was Ingram. Sixth man was Lou Will. It's a coin toss between him and Harold, but Lou Will. Uh, coach of the year was Nick Nurse. And then MVP and defensive were both Giannis. Folks, if you made it this far, genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so, so much. We will have the Motown Noah Awards within the next two days. Those will go live. I'm very excited to finally record that. Thank you very much, folks. I will catch you guys in the next one.